0: this message is called The Comeback. Um, I don't know if you like comeback stories or have ever been to a sporting event where there's been a huge comeback or maybe you're thinking about your grades right now and you're thinking this is gonna be the greatest comeback you've ever seen right here. We're going from F to a C but we're gonna make it. We're gonna get there. It's, it's a comeback story and everybody loves a good comeback story. Um, I've been to a lot of sporting events in my life um, I have a list in my head that I keep. At every time I add a sporting event, I have like the top five sporting events that I have ever been to personally. One of them involves North Carolina basketball. Believe it or not, woohoo! Go Tar Heels! Yeah, they lost to Maryland. It was great. It was awesome. It was so great. Tyler Hansborough. I don't know if you guys remember him. He was like, a, he was a guy who everybody loved. He bricked two free throws. I was screaming in his face in the student section, and he missed him right in my face. We won. We stormed the court, and it was great. It was awesome. Um, that was one of my top five. But number one. To this day, it has not been beaten yet, is uh, actually, and Morgan and I were just talking about this with our kids the other day, because their birthday's coming up, and we were talking about best birthday gift she ever gotten. The first birthday gift Morgan ever got me, we weren't even married yet, is the best birthday gift she ever got me. She got me tickets to a Washington Capitals hockey playoff game, and I love hockey, especially when we lived in D.C. We went to hockey games all the time. And so um, she got me tickets there, and they're actually playing the Montreal Canadiens, and they went down... Four to zero in the game. Okay, now it was terrible. Like the first two periods of a three period hockey game were miserable. Um, I, had a, I, I was putting a smile on my face, loved every second of it because you gotta, you know, I like the girl, she's my girlfriend. Hopefully one day it turns into something more, and it did. But I, you know, gotta put on a face that I'm having a great time and don't want her to look like I'm bummed. On the inside, it's crushing me. All right, like I'm dying on the inside because my team has a habit of blowing it in the playoffs. And so here we go again. That particular night, something magical happened. They came back and tied the game and forced it to overtime. Now hockey overtime is like one of the most exciting sporting events you can go to because it's sudden victory or sudden death. First team to score wins. And when you're in a building, okay, with the horn that goes off when they score in hockey and 18,000 of your closest friends that you've never met before screaming and just making a lot of noise, it's a blast. And wouldn't you know it, The Caps score, and the building went wild. I mean, uh, just absolutely, like, it was like a roar upon roar. Like, you could feel the roof was shaking. It was amazing. And the comeback made it so much sweeter. Like, that was just the best gift ever. The experience of going through the lows and then hitting the comeback and seeing victory on the other side was just amazing to me. Um, The reason I say that with you is because I feel like, as you read through the book of James, there there comes moments where when James says things to you, you kind of feel like you're losing. Like you're down four to nothing in a game. And you just feel like there's no end in sight. Let me give you an example. Just last week, if you were in here, just a couple verses before the verses we read tonight, he called the people an adulterous people. Those are harsh words. <laughs> like, that brings you kind of low, you know? Like, that just tells you, wow, I'm not that great of a person if I fall into the category of an adulterous person. couple verses before that he talks to them about their prayer life and he says listen you got two issues one you don't ask for things so you don't even pray that that hurts cut me deep the other one is when you do pray you ask incorrectly because you're just selfish like at some point you can read this book and just feel like whoa where does it ever get better this is rough like is it any better And we ended last week with, in James chapter 4, verse 6, he said, but God gives more grace. Despite all this other stuff, despite the lowliness that we are, despite the sin that dwells within us, despite all the junk that is in us, he gives more grace, which is amazing. It's amazing that he would continue to give grace to people like us. And this is where you find yourself in James chapter 4 verse we're going to start with verse 7 and 8 and go to chapter, verse 10 you find yourself experiencing a little bit of a comeback here and really the comeback is how do you come back to God after you've messed up we call that big church word repentance how do you how do you practice that you know before the internet and the google machine and youtube one of the most popular books that was hitting, um, there used to be this bookstore called Borders. They went out of business a long time ago. Um, but they used to have, and in Borders, I remember. Uh, blank, you know, insert whatever activity you want for dummies. You guys have probably seen those. They're big yellow books. A guy has a big sign. He's a cartoon-looking character. It's like, whatever you're looking for, for dummies. They now have that. It's called YouTube. And everybody's DIYs everything, and they just fix their house on their own. Um, my neighbor does that, um, and he has... Uh, done some interesting things to his plumbing. He's told me his wife does not enjoy his DIY projects. But the understanding the how, I think, is something that captivates us. Because we want to know how things work. We want to be able to control things. And so in order to control things, we got to figure out the hows, right? It's one of those questions that can really consume you. Like, for example, I just wrote down a couple that I think uh, are sometimes on people's minds. Uh, Number one, how can I change the way things are? If things aren't going the way that you want them to go, one of the questions you might ask yourself how can I change things? How can I make things better for me? The other one might be, how can I change the way that I feel? You may not like how you feel at the moment. You may be like, oh, I'm just stuck in a funk. Like, I just feel low all the time, and I can't shift out of this. How can I change the way that I feel? How do I fix what is broken? You know, if you you have stuff in your life, and you just don't have Maybe your solution is just throw more money at it. But if you don't have endless amounts of money or your parents don't have endless amounts of money or they don't hand you this little thing that's about this big and it's made of plastic and just lets you do whatever you want with it, um, how do you fix what's broken? Sometimes you've got to figure out how to fix what you got, right? So how do I fix what's broken? The question that I think you might be left with after you read through James, especially the last few verses in chapter 4, is how does a person return to God? Like, you're hypocritical. You fail at prayer. You're an adulterous people. How do you return to God? And I read this line earlier, and it it just stuck with me. And I think this is really helpful. It says, the Bible tells us what is true. The Bible is so true in telling us this is exactly who we are. And it tells us how to respond to what is true. The Bible tells you what is true, and it tells you how to respond to that truth. It gives you both. And in a way, I think the verses we're going to read tonight are a little bit of a how-to kind of help for you. You want to figure out how to get to God, how to get back to God. Maybe you've been wandering away from him. Maybe he's been like kind of lacking in your life or you have been lacking in your commitment to him. How do I come back? How do I return to him? James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 offer a little bit of a how-to guide on how to do that. Let's read those few verses now. It says, Therefore... In light of everything that he just said about God's grace and humbling yourself, submit to God. That's instruction number one. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's instruction number two. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's instruction number three. So the three how-tos that James is going to offer to you in terms of no matter where you've been or how you've been living or what your spiritual life is like at this moment in time, if you are seeking to approach God again and you want to get back to having some semblance or look of a relationship with God, here are three really easy how-tos. Submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God. Submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God. Those are the three how-tos. Now, we could close our Bibles and we could go home a little early tonight if we just say all that. But you want to unpack that. I hope you do. Anyway, I want to unpack it for you because I feel like that might just not be super easy for you just to go walk away. Okay, I'm going to submit to God. What does that even look like? Okay, let's figure that out. But submitting to God. That's the first one. Number one, submitting to God. The word submit in the Greek there means to put in under an authority. The idea here is there is a hierarchy. Okay? That's a big word for saying there is a leader and somebody who follows the leader. Okay, so the hierarchy goes like this. To submit to God means God first, you below him. What we say in this ministry, Jesus is first in all that we do. That means that Jesus has authority over every nook and cranny, every corner, every pocket, every hidden little area of your life, he has authority over it. And to submit that to him means that you willingly give that permission of authority to him. You submit that to him. The things that you do with your body, the the people you talk with, the way that you talk, the things that you do in school, the way that you study, the way that you work, the way that you treat your siblings, the way that you talk to your mom and dad... The, the things that you do in terms of even your diet. I mean, all of those things, you submit that to God's authority. You submit it all. You don't hold something back and say, I get to hold on to this piece, but you get that piece. No, it's a full submission. This is what a Christian does. It is submitting to God, putting everything in your life under his authority. One commentator said it this way. You got to stop resisting God in anything. Give God the power to rule every portion of your life. So the first question you have to ask yourself if you want to successfully complete some how-tos here to submit to God. Is there an area of your life that you're resisting God's presence? Are you not allowing God to come in? Are you trying to build a wall or build a fence and say, "No, no, 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 you can't enter here. Like That's off limits right now. You can have other stuff. You can go over there. You can even mess up my morning routine. You can make me get up early and pray and read. I'll I'll give you that. And I'm not even a morning person. You can have that. But you can't come over here. That's not submission. Submission says you tear down all those walls, you remove the barriers, and you give all of that to him. And you stop resisting God in any area of your life. As I was thinking about this... I was thinking about three ways that, what does my submission to God require? And I think these are three easy ways you can remember this. Number one is to trust in his word. So I need to trust that the promises that he gives to me will come through. Like, for example, when it talks about temptation... God says that he will provide a way out of the temptation. I need to believe that no matter how difficult life is going, no matter what situation I find myself in, no matter how tempting something sinful is and how much it really seems good to me, that if I submit myself to God, I trust his promises, I believe in his word, I trust in his word that he will deliver me and provide a way out of that temptation for me. Or another one that I I will believe his promises that his word endures while the world and everything I see in it will fade. I gotta trust in his word. I gotta trust in his ways. I gotta trust in his ability to overcome evil, his strength, his ability to take care of things, to be sovereign over everything, to be in charge of the world that you see. I need to trust in that, I need to trust in his ways. And I need to trust in his will. I need to believe and trust that whatever he's allowing to happen, he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. So I need to trust in those things. If I trust in his word and his ways and his will, then I am able to submit myself to him. That allows me to do it. So if you're struggling, if, if you are somebody who's doing this right now with a certain area of your life, you're like, not, not coming in here then what you do to remedy that, trust in his word, apply his word to that area of your life, whatever it is. If it's friendships, trust in his word to draw in and apply the principles of his word to your friendships. Trust in that. Trust in his ways. Trust in his ability to work in other people's lives and and in your life as well and to change and transform you. And then trust in his will. Trust that whatever he's allowing to happen is for your good if you love him. So so that's a way to submit to God. Now, the second one, he said, is resist the devil. Resist the devil. So in one way, in submission, we have to stop resisting God. But in the other sense, to resist the devil, now it's good to put up those barriers and resist him. And let me just make a a mental, kind of a side note here. Because I think there's a weird offshoot of Christianity right now that is like, let's go storm the gates of hell and let's go fight Satan and kill his demons and do all this crazy stuff. There are some people out there that will say that. They're very, like, crazy, sometimes a little over-spiritual, and, and they're trying to move that. In this passage, I'm just doing the text justice. I'm not calling certain names of preachers out. So if you have those people in your mind, that's on you, not me. Um, so, so this is not a call for the Christian to go find a fight and pick the fight with Satan. Okay? He said resist the devil. Don't go looking for fights. He said resist him. The idea of resistance is you are a wall, a defensive unit around a city, and you will block whatever is trying to attack what's behind you, what you're trying to protect. In this case, your faith. You're trying to protect and block your faith. You're resisting the devil in his schemes. That means you don't go finding a fight, but you do resist him. And I think this is such an amazing promise that what James is saying here, he's saying that if you resist the devil, the enemy, Satan, will flee from you. I I read that, and I actually wrote down in my notes, is that accurate? Because I feel like when I resist temptation, what ends up happening about five minutes later is it comes doubling down harder than ever. I don't feel like it flees. I feel like it doubles down and tries to even harder to punch down the wall that I'm building up against Satan himself against temptation, against sin. Is that accurate? And the more I studied, I was like, it's what it says. He will flee. The word flee. I went digging deep into the Greek. I was like, is the word flee really flee? Like, he runs away? Yes, that is the word. The promise of God's word. And this goes back to the submission part. Do I trust in God's word? Do I believe his word? That if I resist the enemy, he will flee. He will run off. He'll escape from my presence. And it is. It's true. 1 John 4, 4 says that greater is he than, that is in you than that he is in the world. There's a, famous, there's a song that's in the popular on the radio. You can listen to that. But, but actual the words from scripture scriptures say, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them, the world, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So the idea is that when Satan runs into a Christian who is resisting temptation because they have submitted themselves to God, to Christ, what happens is Satan runs into an immovable object that will not be shaken. Not because you're some super Christian. Not because you've got it all figured out. Not because you are better off than the person next to you. No, the reason why Satan runs into that immovable object is because when his heart is submitted to God, Christ is present and Satan cannot overcome him. Darkness cannot overtake the light. So, if you submit to God, I guarantee you, as scripture tells you, Satan will flee when he comes and you resist him. The enemy will flee. There is not a temptation that is so big that it will overcome you. You can win, you can fight if you submit first to Christ. That is such an amazing promise. Because I know some of you guys, like, you get beat up all the time by, like, some temptation is constantly just driving at you. And, and you just feel like, if you ever read screw tape letters, like, C.S. Lewis does a great job. is like, you have a demon that just knows all the buttons to push and, and how to, like, poke and prod. And he knows exactly how to surgically just get into your mind and mess with you. And you're like, I'm just never going to beat this. Like, it's just always there. I'll never overcome this. And I'm here to tell you that God promises, submit to him, draw near to him. And you will be able to resist Satan because he will flow through your heart and his power will dwell in you and it will push out, push away the one that's trying to fight you. Because greater is he who is in you than the one who's in the world. Man, that's, that's amazing. Too often I hear Christians, adults, not just kids, adults, being like, I just got this struggle. I just struggle with this. And they act like it's just like some like, you know thing that they're just always going to deal with. Paul had thorns in his flesh. Yes, they humbled him. But he continuously went to Christ, and Christ supplied his need. And you too, if you are struggling with an area in your life that's not submitted to God, God can help you resist the temptation and resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. I believe it sure as it is written in the book right in front of me. You can overcome that. Not, not, be, not through human tactics, not through your own willpower, but through submission to Christ himself. All right, so number one, was we'll submit to God. Number two, how do, how do I make a comeback to God? I resist the devil. Number three, how do I do it? I draw near to God. Man, this one is so important because it is all about his grace to you, right? He, he, he is allowing you to draw near to him and he won't leave you. This is such an encouragement. God, God provides the direct road back to himself. He tells you how to get to him. That person is Jesus. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection provides the road right back to him. And you, when you get there, when you take up the faith in Christ that he has saved you and gives you access back to God the Father, you are not received with this, Ugh, I can't believe you made it through the door. I can't believe they let you in. No, he receives you graciously and loves you freely. You get to experience the closeness of God, especially when you seek Him with pure motives. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when it comes to prayer. Pure, pure motives matter. And you get to experience the closeness of God. He doesn't cast you out, He doesn't play peekaboo with you and go, Hi, now I'm over here. No, no, I'm over here. No, no. Like, you seek Him, you find Him. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. He won't run further and say, okay, you you made it 50 yards. Now run another 50. No, he doesn't play those games. There are some people in your life that might do that with you. They they may offer you forgiveness and be like, yeah, yeah, I forgive you, but then you got to come back a little further. I forgive you, but mm, prove it first. God doesn't play those games with you. You draw near to him. He draws near to you. Only a requirement in that exchange is you coming to God. That's humbling to admit that you need to, but if you do, he'll draw near to you and he'll meet you where you are. I like this note. None of God's gifts can be separated from God himself. The gift and the giver are one and the same. I think this is really important to understand is that when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. Sometimes we draw near to God looking for something that God provides, maybe wisdom, Maybe peace, maybe joy, maybe comfort. You have to understand, you don't get peace without getting God. God is peace. You don't get God without getting comfort. God is comfort. I mean, you get him. You don't just get pieces of what he offers. You get him. That is the reward. The gift and the giver are one and the same. You don't just get wisdom from God. If you get God, he gives you wisdom because he is wisdom. He's perfect wisdom. This is the beauty of it. If you draw near to him, you get him, not just stuff. You get him. And the last one I think is so important is this whole drawing near thing is an action. It it is a mental decision that I'm going to draw near to God. You don't just wander into that. Naturally, okay, like you don't just drift into communion with God and just get there and just hit it right one day. You've got to make the conscious choice to draw near to God. Yes, that that does mean maybe you go back to the example I used earlier that you do give up a morning or you do carve out time that you usually set aside for other things and you lay those other things aside and you focus on Christ in that moment by reading your Bible or praying. It, that's what it looks like to draw near to him. You don't just drift into this and go, well, I, if I hear enough about God, if I, maybe I dial up some Christian music one day, I'll just kind of drift into communion with him. No, like it, you've got to choose who you're going to chase after, who you're going to draw near to. So if you draw near to God, he won't abandon you. I'm going to take you to the next couple verses, and we're going to finish up. So, so second half of verse 8, then turns, and when you first read it, you're going to be like, oh man, here we go, we're back to getting beat up again by James. But I'm going to explain this to you, and hopefully it's going to be an encouragement. So verse 8, the second half to verse 10 says this, cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep, Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This sounds really sad, again, because he just called us sinners. He just said that we're double-minded. He just told us to be miserable and mourn, weep, take away our laughter and our joy. I thought God was for our joy. What is this all about? And then he goes back to humbling yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. What in the world is he talking about here? It's more how-tos, actually. here's how you, if you got the first three, if you got the first three to submit to God, resist the devil, and then draw near to God, he's then gonna give you some more how-tos on how to stay out of sin continually and continue drawing into God and continuing to stay near to God. It's how do I continue in this fight? Basically, what he's saying is you need to launch an attack. You need to go to war with the sinful stuff that is in your heart, I read this earlier today too, and it, was just so, it just hit me hard because a lot of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks are like your desires are the problem within us, right? The desires set us off. The problem with our desires is they don't desire to be changed. So you need to go to war and fight to make those things change. You need to launch an attack against the evil parts of you that still exist. Because listen, even when you draw near to God, there's still stuff within you that still needs to be shifted and get closer to Christ. Stuff that he still needs to get right in your life. And that's a continual daily thing that Jesus does in your life. But you need to launch an attack. I mean, just go to war against the stuff in your life that is not godly, that is anti-God, anti-Christ. Go to war against it. And what he's saying here is when he talks about be miserable and mourn and weep and and have your laughter go to mourning and your joy to gloom, he's talking about just just be aware of your sin and hate it so much that it breaks you inside. Like, just just be miserable about your sin. Hate it. Like, genuinely hate the stuff in you that is anti-God. It doesn't mean you need to, like, hate yourself to the point where you start to inflict pain on yourself. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is hate those portions that you know are not godly. Because you know, A, that they're not good. But, B, more importantly, you know that it's disrupting communion with your Father. And you don't want that. You don't want that for so long to battle temptation in my life I just thought I had to put up I had to put up barriers I had to put up you know guardrails and those are important I'm not saying you shouldn't do that you should not put yourself in situations where you're easily tempted or you're going to stumble but what really clicked for me and what allowed me to start beating sin in my life more and more is I realized I don't like the feeling of separation from my savior I don't like that feeling I know that I haven't lost my salvation. I know the Bible well enough to know that's true. But I don't like the feeling of distance between him and me. And the the fear almost of that distance, the pain that it causes me when I'm in the distance where I feel like I've separated myself from Christ, I know that feeling well enough that I don't want it. And so I measure, do I want to feel distance between me and Christ or do I want to feel some joy of this sin and enjoy that for a moment? And when I measure the two, I go, you know what? I choose, I choose him. I just choose to be closer to him rather than having distance for the joy of this little momentary thing that's gonna satisfy some pleasure that I have, but it's only gonna last a moment. I don't want that. That beats temptation for me. That, that, that works. And, and that's what Jesus wants from us. And if you look at, when it talks about gloom, that, that word gloom actually is used also in Matthew 6, 16, when Jesus is talking about when you fast, don't look gloomy so that you look, like oh man i've been fasting for so long and i haven't been eating food and i'm so righteous and holy but oh man i feel so sick because i'm like i'm gloomy because you haven't eaten jesus said don't do that don't put on a show you when you mourn over your sin don't come in here going oh man i've been so bad you guys you guys i've been so bad i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i did it again I'm crying. It's cry night. It's cry night. I'm just going to do it again and again. And it's the, the last night of whatever event and I'm crying. And That's an outward show. God doesn't want an outward show. If you've cried at cry night, it's okay. I'm not calling you out. But what I am asking is, is that just the show? Is that just the show? Or do you actually care that your sin is breaking your relationship. Not, not, not like that you've lost your relationship with your Savior, but it's fracturing it. Does that bother you? The word gloom means that it appears to lose its shine or beauty. I thought of it this way. It goes back to the point I was just making is your sin loses its shine or beauty. That's what it means to stop taking joy and all the stuff that you used to do, and you start to see it for what it is, and you go, it's lost, it's luster. I just don't desire that anymore. It doesn't look as shiny or as appealing to me anymore. The other one I just, I think I kind of said it, but the second point I just want to make is, you've got to take your sin seriously. I can take you back into the Old Testament, but essentially, if I take you back to an Old Testament passage, uh, back in Numbers and Deuteronomy, here's a really easy way to look at sin. Ready? Sin is cosmic treason against God. You commit treason in our country, you get the death penalty. Same way with God. You commit treason against God, you get the death penalty. Take sin seriously. Don't think that it's something you can laugh about. You don't laugh about treason. You don't go, ha, ha, ha I just betrayed my country. <laughs> They're going to send me to Guantanamo Bay with all the other crazies and do all the things that are off the book and on a black site. You don't laugh about that. That's not funny. If you do, you're twisted. In the same way, we don't laugh about our sin. We were miserable about the parts of us when, they, when our flesh rises to the top, we mourn and we, we, are, we are distraught because we are caught in between this. I am saved, but I'm not yet what I want to be. Paul was in this all the time. I know what I want to be, but I'm not there yet. I'm frustrated about that. Your sin should frustrate you to the point where you hate it. You hate what it does. So you don't want to laugh about your sin, you don't want to laugh about your crimes against the Lord. Finally, um, I I think that at some point you have to disengage from the world and you have to start to feel it's strange when you're around sin and darkness. And the last point I want to make. I, I think the more that you submit yourself to God and you resist the devil and you and you pursue God, the more that you do that regularly, and the more that you disengage from pieces. Of your life that are so saturated with worldly things whether that's like media or people talk like I'll just give you an example like I was I was in a place and I just started to overhear some people using like really foul language and and I just haven't I haven't put myself in front of that a lot and and when I did and when I was around it I was like oh man it's just it's not funny and they were making jokes and I wasn't laughing there was a day The immature me used to laugh at a lot of those types of things. I'll be honest. Like, Will Ferrell. Like, that guy used to make me laugh hysterically. Now, when he shows up on, like, a show and a YouTube thing, and I'm not just, again, not calling you out, I'm just saying for me, just doesn't do anything for me anymore. Because over time, as I've gone closer and closer to Christ, I've disengaged from the world, and so that when I find myself in a worldly situation, it just kind of feels weird. I feel like a foreigner there. I don't know if you've ever gone to another country and you have felt like a foreigner there because you were and you just know you're not with your people. You're not in your home. You're not in the place that you're familiar with everything. You don't know where streets go. You don't know how things connect. It's, it's a weird feeling. Do you feel that way when you interact with sinful stuff or you're around sinful things or around coarse language or does, does that sit with you in that way? I think the more that you disengage from the world, you're going to start to feel a strangeness when you're around sin and darkness. And that's okay. That's good. That's a sign of maturity in your faith. That's a sign that God is doing something in you and making that comeback, and that's leading you to more repentance. I'm going to end with this verse before we pray, but I just, I just thought this was such an encouragement. Psalm 25, 8 through 10 says this, The Lord is good and upright, therefore he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. So I think this is so encouraging that God wants to show you the way. He wants to teach you the way if you'll humble yourself and if you'll go after him. He acknowledges that you're sinful and that I'm sinful, but he still wants to teach you and show you the way. And then verse 10, and I highlighted it because I want you to get it. What is this way that he's talking about? Is it just like a cleaner life? Is it the Christian life? Is it like being a goody tissue and goody tissues and a Bible thumper? Is it that? No, like here's what the way that he wants to show you is. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. So you get to experience faithful love and truth. That's what he wants to teach you. And that faithful love and truth will lead you to keeping his covenant and decrees. I right, want you bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. And uh, I used to do this a lot and I haven't. It just hit me today. Um, I haven't done this much. Just I want to give you about a minute. And I know like, sometimes silence might make you uncomfortable, but I think that's okay. I think that's good. I want to give you a minute or so. Just quiet in this room. Nobody's talking. Nobody's looking at you. But if you haven't prayed in a while or prayed even today, spoken to the Lord, want to give you a minute just to do that. Give you a minute just to respond to what you've heard and to, whether it's confess sin, bring it to God, but this is an opportunity for you right now to take a minute to draw near to God. Draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. So just take a minute in silence, and then once that's passed, I'll close in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed.